Thanks, Andre. Such an amazing introduction. I hope we can live up to it. <laughs> and it's always uh, yeah, such a, an awesome joy to, to worship God together with other believers. Yeah. Um, I'm already changed just by, by being here. Uh, and I know I'm going to leave this place changed and taken to the next level just in my expectation. Whenever I spoke to Andre and Sonica over the phone in just preparation of this week, they keep on telling me about this massive expectation that they had. Like, wow, Jesus, help us. You know, they've got great faith for what's going to happen this, um, this weekend. And just your, your hunger for God in the presence of the Lord is just amazing. And I, I really believe we touched God's heart this morning. And he touched our hearts as well. So it's amazing to be here. Um, also, hopefully one day I'll be able to arrive at Prince Albert and uh, Durban and P and uh, worship the Lord there with you guys. So I want to welcome you too. And um, yeah, um, as Andre said, we, we go back quite a while. And, and Anton, it's incredible to be able to travel with him as well. And I was thinking last night as he was sharing his story that, um, Anton, you know, when, when you're in Anton's presence, you just know things are going to be okay. You don't know how. But you know things are going to be okay. You know you're going to change the world together. And I remember us in the 1994 mission trip we did to Malawi. We were sitting next to the lake, Lake Malawi, just towards the end of the mission. We drove up five days. We ministered in Chitipa, sort of close to the border of Tanzania and Malawi. We drove back to Lake Malawi, and we just shared our hearts a little bit. And even back then, I remember, we were just so focused. We were, what, 18 or 19 years old. And we were just sharing some of the passions in our heart. And, and he, even back then, had this... He had this vision clear in his mind about just thousands of people in Africa. And I said, they're stunned, you know, about this very focused guy. And um, that focus hasn't diminished. It has continued. It has grown stronger and stronger over the years. And Anton, such a, yeah, you're such an inspiration to me. And uh, I thank you for being my friend as well. And we've uh, been in the um, Gauteng region. They were in Stanerton ministering over there. And we uh, grew closer together there as well. And it's been an amazing journey that I've been on. Um, being part of Shofar. I grew up in church. I'll give you a little bit of, of my, my background. I grew up in church, literally. I'm a PK, okay, a pastor's kid. So, um, and I'm in the middle. Three boys, I'm, I'm in the middle of them. So, uh, you know, that's a dangerous combination. Dominic is a CNN in middle of the network. So, uh, the odds were stacked against me. Okay, that things would turn out very badly for me. Uh, but praise God, I got saved when I was three years old. I remember the moment very well. I remember what I wore very clearly. My dad shared the story of uh, uh, Solomon with me about Solomon having this encounter with God and God coming to him and visiting him and telling, just opening up his heart to Solomon and, and Solomon responding to God. And I remember that night I had a dream, very vivid dream about God in this dream. He appeared to me and asked me, what do you want? And I said, God, I want wisdom. This was my, the cry of my heart back then. I want wisdom. Um, and it was just so amazing to see how the Lord is. The next morning, I went to my dad and told him what happened, and we knelt beside the bed, prayed, and I asked Jesus to come into my heart, and even though I didn't fully understand what it meant back then, I knew that I surrendered my life to him. I knew that he had grabbed hold of my life. Um, I backslid a little bit and came back to the Lord when I was five. Um, <laughs> my brother and I had a massive fight. <laughs> And mom said, no, 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 that isn't uh, how safe people should be, be behaving. And so uh, we had visiting pastors that stayed in the house at that stage, ministering evangelists. And so she prayed for us again, and we got saved again. <laughs> and um, then I got filled with the Holy Spirit when 
I was uh, in Standard 2. It's an amazing experience. My folks at that stage left the Dutch Reformed Church. Eventually, they, they just got, got into trouble too much um, concerning water baptism and, uh, and uh, just praying for people. My earliest memories of people getting slain in our house, uh, falling and not getting hurt. And, and so my folks were a little bit kamikaze back then within the specific um, church that we were in. And so eventually, they were sort of put before a choice. Either you're going to rescind on what you believe uh, or you're going to leave the church. And so they decided to, to leave the church. And we went to Boxburg up in Johannesburg. 1985 was an interesting time, interesting time in our country's history. And we left this pastori, this very nice place where we lived, and we moved to a one-bedroom apartment. And mom and dad went to Rayma Bible School back then. And our three boys were there, plus the lady who looked after us. We lived in this granny flat. But it was an amazing time. It was an incredible time. Probably the best year of my life as far as I can think back on, just of receiving so much input and so much of what God wanted to, to do in my life. And um, eventually... Went, lived in many different places, went to Stellenbosch in 1994, that's where I joined Shofar, and I've been part of Shofar ever since, and it's obviously where our journeys uh, with Anton and uh, Andre and Sonica intersected. My wife, by the way, was on that mission strip where Anton chased away the Muslim guys, and um, my, my father-in-law gave me a lot of grief because of Anton. It was before the days of, uh, of cell phone. And so they disappeared off the grid for a few days, seven days longer. I think the mission lasted a few days longer than what it was originally supposed to have lasted due to some unforeseen uh, um, incidences that took place. But the Lord brought them back home safely, praise God. But um, when I asked my father-in-law for my wife's hand in marriage, um, I think the reason I found it so difficult was there was still a little bit of uh, something held against Shofar for that, uh, for that mission, even though it all turned out for good. Um, but it's just amazing to, to experience how, how God has just he's come and he's blessed. My wife and I, we, we moved from, from Stellenbosch. First, when I finished studying, I went into teaching. I was a teacher for about seven years. Um, then left that, went into business, did consulting work for municipalities, just helping them to do their heritage impact assessments and so on. And all that was part of my journey of traveling through the country, just falling in love with our country, different places, different towns, different dialects. I never stayed long enough in one place to, to learn one dialect. As soon as I started to speak like the guys in the Mako land, we would move. Before I started to speak like the guys up in Johannesburg, we would move. And so it happened all the time. And um, my wife and I, we eventually, we were asked after we did the show for Bible school, we were asked to go up to Pretoria. And so we were up there for about four years and then up to Johannesburg. We were there for three years and Towards the end of last year, we moved back to Stellenbosch, um, which is an amazing time. And the Lord um, did so many incredible things in our lives. And I want to share a little bit out of what I've discovered over the years of just being in church. Um, I remember last year we did a journey. My little girl Annika and I, we drove from Johannesburg through Vintuk up to Alphys Bay. And uh, my wife and the three-year-old, they flew. Okay, um, That just made sense to me that I wasn't going to torment myself at driving thousands of kilometers with a three-year-old that cannot sit still for longer than five minutes. She's amazing. I love her, but she's got such a lot of energy. And so we, um, we drove up, and I was privileged enough to go and visit the different places where my dad passed it, Uppington and um, Walfus Bay, Vintuk, Gaddis, all these different places. And in all of those places, he would still see the church buildings where he was. And a few of those places, he would still find the people as well that he ministered to. And just being in church, I'd seen so much. I've seen some incredible people, and I've seen some challenging people. 
I've, I've seen the Lord do amazing things in the lives of people. And what I've discovered over all the years, being part of Shofar for 20 years and having grown up in church for what, 39 years of my, of my life, I've seen that there is a staying power that some people have and that some people don't have. I've discovered that, that over the years, we, we get confronted and we have encounters with God, very much like what we're having this weekend, life-changing encounters. That change us on the, on the inside, that impact our lives radically. But what I have discovered as well is that as important as those encounters are, as crucial as they are to stimulate us and to stir something in our lives, that very often an encounter by itself is not enough to guarantee that you will finish the race. An encounter by itself, as crucial and as important as it is, is often not enough to keep on fueling your tank, to keep on running to keep on loving, to keep on serving, to keep on coming back and coming back and coming back. And one of the amazing things I've discovered over the years is that very often the people that shout the loudest and do the most incredible promises normally, not always, but normally, are the guys that sometimes fade away as well. And, and I don't believe that's God's desire. I believe God doesn't want us to choose between passion and faithfulness. He wants us to have both. Like Anton Andre, they're beautiful examples of that. Passionate is the day they were when they got saved, but faithful as well. And I want to share a few principles with you guys that I believe the Lord has just laid on my heart. And I'm going to chat through them a little bit. And then we're going to trust God to get, get practical as well. So I want to read from Isaiah 59. And uh, actually, I'm going to read from verse 14. It says, Justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off, for truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off, for truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. So truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. And this was obviously written about the people of Israel. But it is amazing, you can take that verse and you can pretty much apply it to our modern world, can't you? And you could pretty much apply it, I think, to, to a lot of aspects in, in our country. And it's an interesting sentence, that last one, that says, The Lord saw what was happening, and it displeased him that there was no justice. And if you go on, it says, The justice is turned back, and righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street. And equity cannot enter. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness, it sustained him. And there was something that displeased God. There was something that caused God to, to wonder. Like he was in amazement. He looked at everything that was going on. He looked at all of the chaos, the fact that justice is not being done, the fact that the lights are going out, the fact that people's money is being stolen, that they pay don't arrive. He looked at all of those things, looked at the violence, he looked at the corruption, and it displeased him, not so much that there was injustice, but that there was no one that was doing something about it. And there was no intercessor. And it's an amazing concept that I just want to stand still on a little bit when we talk about leadership. Ezekiel 22, verse um, 29 and 30 speaks about the same thing. It says, the people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall 
and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. And I think that's part of the reason why, why you guys are here, is that you looked around at circumstances, and you looked around at what life was and what life could be, and as Anton said last night, you decided to do something about it. You put up your hand. You, you said, I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to be a difference. Now, I don't know about you and how your leadership journey has developed, but some of us are born into the kingdom with a sense of destiny and purpose, aren't we? You, you get born again, and you, you have that visitation from God, like Saul had, like Anton had. You know within your Noah, deep down inside, I've been called for greatness. I've been called to change my environment. I've been called by God to be the head and not the tail. And you pursue God's purpose and you pursue what he has for you with that sense of knowing. But not all of us get born into the kingdom that way. Not all of us immediately have the sense of knowing and the sense of calling upon us as, as leaders. I don't know how many of you guys came to Pastor Anton and Sonica and, and told them, listen, God told me to be a small group facilitator. You don't know it yet, but you're going to need a small group facilitator and I'm your man, I'm your woman. God showed this to me, or God showed me I must be in the band, or God showed me I must be in the, um, in the sound team. Now, if you have that word, that is amazing, that is incredible, and that is something to fall back on. But I've discovered that many of us, our journey is slightly different. Many of us, our journey into leadership is that there is a need, and someone approaches us and asks us, won't you consider becoming a small group facilitator? How many of you here were asked to step into a leadership position? Don't be shy. Just raise. How many of you asked? How many of you volunteered? You saw something and you said, I'm going to. Okay. Most of us were asked to step into a leadership position. So that means that very often God empowers leaders around us to see something in us before we see it ourselves. And I've discovered that over the years, one of our greatest challenges is to have that, that response to the need translate into a sense of calling. And I believe, as Anton shared with us last night, that many of you made the shift this weekend. Many of you made the shift from, I'm not just a volunteer who stepped up because there was a need. I'm not just someone who's here because I was asked to be here. I'm actually someone who's here because God chose me. God laid his hand on me. God called me. And so in a sense, it's almost a, a feeling of, as a, the guy in Matrix said, a feeling of a inevitability about the fact that you are here. That you are in God's kingdom being a leader because God has laid his hand upon you. He has come and he has said, you are mine. I've chosen you to do something for my kingdom. But unless you have that, that sense of knowledge ingrained on your heart, unless you, you go back and you covenant with God around moments like last night, you know what's going to happen? Monday, you're going to go back to your work. Get back to your family. Last night, hopefully, you went back to your family if they were here. And you're going to be confronted with all of the challenges, all of the pressures, all of the commitments, and all of the responsibilities that were there when you left your work on Friday. Maybe even more. It's not as if those pressures suddenly become less just because you had an experience with God. Just because you had an encounter with God, your boss recognizes you as you walk into the office on Monday and says, something's different. You changed. Let me clear your schedule so you can spend Monday in prayer and just solidify what I know God has done in your life. Let's talk about your schedule for the next few months. When do you want to go on missions? 
When do you want to spend extra time with a band to, to practice? Because I see the Davidic anointing upon your life to lead God's people. I heard that whistle, the way you're whistling, and I recognize that tune. If only all of creation responded to our calling the way that our hearts do. If only the red carpet were rolled out for us because we said yes. But it doesn't often work that way. There's a very real life we have to return to. And I found often that tension between what we experience in the spirit and what we are confronted with in the natural cause a lot of people not to finish the race. And then we, we come back and we need to have another leadership camp or we need to have another amazing Sunday experience. And by the way, the experiences here are amazing. The experience in God's presence in the worship, it is mind-blowing what's going on here. But that is not what will sustain you. That is not what will sustain you alone when you are confronted with, did I make the right decision? Did I really hear from God when I said yes to that call? And so I want to share a few practical things with you that I believe will help you to transition into that place of knowing how to continue. When we talk about leadership, we're talking about our context. Okay, within Shofar. Our context of leadership is we are wanting to reach the nations and generations. And we're saying about that. We want to make disciples. We want, to, we want to raise up leaders. And that's why you guys are here. And you know, the amazing thing is that this church and um, PE and Durban and, and Prince Albert as well, we are all products of a process. None of the churches fell out of the sky. There was a process of church planting. There was a process of disciple making, leadership development, and church planting that we are the products of. Does it make sense to you? Before this came into being, the disciple making happened somewhere else. The leadership development happened somewhere else. And the church planting manifested here. You are the result of other people who went through the process you are going through now. You are the result of other people putting up their hands to say, there's a need, we'll respond to that need. You are the result of other people saying, I choose to be discipled. I choose to be developed. And I choose to go. As Andre and Sonica came to East London. So as you are sitting here, remember that. You are the product of someone else who was obedient to God. Who knows what lies in your womb? Who knows what lies on the other side of your obedience? Who, lies, who knows who one day will sit somewhere and say, we are the products of Shofar East London's obedience to God. To the way they made disciples. To the way they raised up leaders and to the way that they planted churches. You know, my testimony started in 1955. I know I don't look that old. Okay, but um, my life changed in 1955 when my dad made a decision for Christ. That's when my life changed. You know, I, like I said, I grew up in a, in a godly home. I grew up in a home where my folks, they love Jesus. They're spirit-filled. I'm incredibly blessed. And I know I will have to give an account for all of that which I've received because I also understand that isn't the norm. But God is raising up that norm again. Amen. He's reestablishing what can happen within a godly environment. But my dad didn't grow up the way I grew up. He grew up in an alcoholic home, an abusive home, physically abusive, verbally abusive. Think of abuse, it was there. Farm laborer out in Villiersdorp, just absolute devastation. But there was one man who, who, who recognized the fact that God had placed responsibility upon him to act as an intercessor. An intercessor is simply someone 
who takes the need of the people and connects it to the provision of God. Prays it into being and then takes people by the hand and takes them to the provision God has made available. And that man was the farm owner of that, of that farm. And um, he was farming with, with grapes, um, producing wine. Then the Lord challenged him when he got saved and told him, you cannot be part of this inhuman system where you have tons of families living on your farm, the farms in the, in the area being paid in wine. They would pay people with wine to keep them happy. And, and it was just a, just a vicious cycle over and over. They called it the DOP system. If you guys heard of the DOP system, okay? And in many places, trust God, it's not happening anymore, but there's a legacy in our country of what was started that way. And there was a man that got saved and said God challenged him to say, you cannot be part of that. You have to lead. So what he did was he plucked out all the vineyards, planted apples. Intercession that translated from, this is what God says to me in the spirit, and I've got to do something practically about it. Challenged the family, was almost disowned. Today that farm is one of the most productive farms in the Boland. But at the same time, he understood also that if he wanted to take his people forward, he needed the gospel to come. So he opened up the farm and people started preaching on the farm. And during one of those outreaches, my dad got saved. In this very abusive, very sexually immoral environment, got saved, made a promise to God. And I and my brothers, we are the result of what God did in my dad's life. But we are the result of someone who put up the hand and said, I will be part of the answer. I will not be content just to be spiritual and go to church on Sunday, me and my family to be blessed and happy. And the people that are working for me are busy dying and their generations are being destroyed. I have the privilege of having three of those family members, the grandchildren of that man in my church. I taught some of them in Paul Ruiz. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that just God? The way that God can come and he can do something completely outside of the box if we are willing Say, God, I'll be part of the solution. I'll be part of the answer. And so I, I understand the importance of leadership. I understand the, the ripple effect that obedience can have. And it goes beyond just what you do. Leadership, primarily and ultimately, is a lifestyle of discipleship. Leadership is not in the title. It's not in the function that you are performing. It's in the lifestyle that you are living. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to challenge you a little bit on, on some of the things that we, that we take for granted. Discipleship and leadership are interconnected. Okay? A disciple, by implication, is a leader. Why? Because we are following Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. And so we are always moving towards him. And if we are truly a disciple, we will be making disciples. Okay, so I don't really think that you can say I'm a disciple, but I'm not a leader. Because if you are following Christ, then you will be reaching other people. If you are truly a disciple of Christ, you will be making disciples. So you'll be following Jesus, and at the same time, people will be following you. So, so leadership, I just want to say this to you first and foremost, it is not limited simply to you being a small group facilitator, or you being a band um, leader, or you being a ministry team leader, or missions team leader. I've seen over the years how very often people's leadership passion fluctuate based upon their position. See, if I'm a small group facilitator, I'm, I'm focused as a leader. If I'm not, then I'm sort of a little bit more neutral. And I believe the biblical perspective 
is to see leadership not as functional, not as something that is limited to a title, but to see it as a lifestyle. It's an attitude of the heart. Leadership is an attitude of the heart. And therefore, very often, you don't need the title or you don't need the position. Thank God for the position because it gives you influence and it can help people to relate to you. But before you get to the position, it's the lifestyle that you need to cultivate. And I believe that those of you guys listening to us as well, that we are on different places in our lives. Some of us are growing out of the place because we have the position. And now you realize, oh my word, I didn't know this is what it entailed. I don't know if that has happened to anyone. You said yes to a position and only afterwards you discovered, my goodness, is this part of the job description. Some of us have been demonstrating those leadership qualities and the position simply comes to affirm what we have already been doing. Okay? But we need to trust God to grow in the area of, of living in such a way that our lifestyle of leadership flows out of the heart of intercession. Where our, our, our prayer life, the way that we are engaging with people, is a constant thing that is almost, I want to say, removed from whatever title you are wearing right now. Because guess what? That title will come and go. The call of leadership doesn't come and go. The call of leadership remains on your life. If you have said yes to it, whether you have the title or, or whether you don't. A leader, the last point there, a leader will experience an ever-increasing exposure of the motives of his or her heart in order to arrive at a place of greater dependency upon God. A leader will experience an ever-increasing exposure of the motives of his or her heart in order to arrive at a place of greater dependency. What I mean by that, you guys can just skip those examples. Um, When you say yes to the call of leadership, the pressure multiplies. Because now all of a sudden, if you're the the worship leader, you can't decide to skip practice, can you? I'm not going to go to practice. Because you understand that my responsibility has an impact upon other people. If I don't pitch up, then somebody else has to step up for me. If you... The sound guy, the only one on the sound team for Sunday. You can't decide, I'm not going to, someone just, I'm going to sleep in. Spend some time with God in the morning. That's a good thing to do, but in the context of what you need to do, there's, some, there's a higher calling. If you're the pastor preaching, you, you can't just decide, I'm going to go for a walk on the beach. <laughs> because you understand that your actions influence other people. And their actions influence you if you guys discovered that as a leader in other words your responsibilities and the pressures and the challenges suddenly very often multiply as soon as you say yes to the call of leadership because all of a sudden it's not just you anymore being impacted your decisions impact other people but not just that way their decisions also impact you because if someone from your team doesn't pitch guess whose responsibility is it to fix it you have to fix it if something goes wrong, you have to fix it. And so all of those responsibilities come to bear on us. And I've seen over the years that there are one of two ways you can respond to that. You can either allow that pressure to push you further and further away from God and into striving and into, into works mode. Or you can allow it to shape you and mold you to a place of greater dependency upon God so that more fruit can manifest. 
Okay? And that is what I believe the Lord is wanting to just highlight for us this morning. That you will leave your small group, the band, the area of ministry that you are involved in, you will leave it changed. Okay, leadership will change you. There's no way you will leave unchanged. Whether you will leave having grown, that's another question. Change doesn't always mean that you are growing. Your response to that change does. How do you respond to the changes that come your way? How do you respond to the people um, not arriving and not telling you they're not going to be at the practice? Or how do you respond to that person coming to you again for help after you've told them so many times what to do and they're not doing it? How do you respond to you put out a, an invitation for people to come and you want to share vision and only 50% of the people arrive? How do you respond to the challenge of trying to get your spouse to understand they're still important to you, but you also have this other call that you have to pursue? How do you, how do you respond to, to those challenges? How do you respond to the pressures? And, and, and God just reminded me of, if I can find it, just this verse, um, go, to, go to John, let's see if it's there, John 15, go to the next one, but in any case, we, we understand that in, 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 in biblical context, when God talks about growth, he talks about fruit, okay, he, and, and, and I've had to learn to evaluate my life, to look at how do I measure growth? How do I measure that I've grown as a leader? Is the fact that my small group is multiplying? That is a good indication, or it is an indication. Is the fact that people are excited when they're around me? Do I inspire them? There are many indicators to see whether I'm growing in what I need to be doing. But I found that the key to longevity in leadership is to look away from the things that manifest to the outside. And to look at the things that are going on in the heart. If you, want to be, if you want to be consistent throughout your tenure as a leader, then it's important to look at the things that are important that God wants to measure. And what does God want to measure? He wants to measure fruit. He wants to measure fruit. Jesus said, I chose you. And I chose you for a specific reason that you should go and that you should bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain. In one place he also said that, that um, the Father comes, He looks at you. If you, are, if you are bearing fruit, He comes, He prunes you so that you can bear more fruit. So what you have done as a leader is you've said yes to, to, to God's process of causing you to bear more fruit. Because there's something that God is interested in way more than just the, the stats on the outside. And that is what is going on in your heart. And unless you... Take deliberate time to confront what goes on in your heart. Somewhere along the line, the lack of fruit will cause you to sabotage the call that God has on your life. Unless you pay clear attention to the areas in your life that God is highlighting to you and saying to you, I want you to pay attention to that area because I want you to bear more fruit there. You can run and continue with being successful, and all of a sudden, the wheels come off. don't know whether you've heard of people like that. And we say, all of a sudden, their marriage just failed. All of a sudden, they just left the church. All of a sudden, they were just not interested in serving anymore. There's very rarely an all of a sudden. 
is very rarely an explosion of dramatic sin that causes people, believers, to stumble. It is normally a more gradual erosion rather than an explosion. An erosion of character. An erosion of fruit. And for me, what I do often is I look at my life and I evaluate, God, am I growing? And I found that there are three areas in which I need to grow. I need to be growing towards God. I need to be growing towards people. And I need to be growing towards the vision that God has given me. So I always ask myself, am I, am I growing? Is there movement in my life, as, as Anton said last night? Is there movement, as you're sitting here right now, is there movement in your heart towards God, away from your own agendas, away from your own plans, away from your own insecurities and your fears and your experiences? Are you moving towards God? And then are you moving towards God's people, to where they are at? And then are you moving towards the vision that God has given you? And I want you to do a little exercise for me. I want you to think of the last three months or so. And I want you to think of the pressure moments in your life. Unless everything is just so awesome here that you, don't, you guys don't experience pressure. But I found that within a leadership context, pressure is part of the package. There's expectations from the office. I know that Andre is a wonderful facilitator and he encourages you and he speaks life over you more than any person I know. Um, we practiced for years in the office speaking life over one another when there wasn't too much going on. Some people called it flattery. We just called it speaking the truth. What God is saying. We tried it on the Proteas as well, but it's not working yet. But um, we saw fruit in our own lives, just speaking life. You, you must have an awesome calling on your life when the wheels came off. God must have an amazing plan in your life when we couldn't see how we we're going to get through a certain situation. But we kept on speaking the destiny over, over our lives. But the reality is, guys, that, that there's pressure that comes upon you. Because suddenly now you have expectations, don't you? There's an expectation that goes along with being in the position that you are in. And I found that the pressure very often comes to bear on my life and I measure fruit. You know, the fruit of the Spirit, love, peace, joy, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, faith, goodness, the fruit in my life, the way I measure it, it's not when everything is going well. That's not when you measure fruit. You know, when you've had three-week-long holiday and everything is hunky-dory, and of course, it's easy to act gently towards your wife and towards your kids and just think everything is beautiful. You measure your fruit when the pressure is on. What jumps out of your heart when the pressure is on? So I want you to think a little bit about your own area of ministry. Be it small group, be it an elder, be it finances, be it the head of the church, be it a district leader, be it the sound team. And I want you to take a few minutes and identify, think back over the last three or six months. Think of pressure points. Okay? Think of these are the things that put me under pressure. It can be people not letting me know when they don't pitch. It can be too many responsibilities to juggle. It can be work pressure and then having to come to church as well. It can be um, a mistake from the past. You spend a lot of energy trying to cover things rather than growing. Okay, so take a few minutes. I'm going to give you five minutes. Think about your ministry specifically. I need an extra portion of grace. You are. I need just an extra hour's sleep or I need just something extra to get me through this. 
Okay, if you don't have any pressure, or you haven't experienced any pressure, um, that probably means that you are underutilized, and the under needs to give you more responsibility. <laughs> yeah, we'll see now. But just to help you a little bit, I was, when we made the move from Johannesburg down to um, Summers the West, it's a move that I initiated, I asked for the move because I began to just read certain signs in, in my own life in terms of how busy I was and in terms of what the family needed. And so I asked leadership if we could make the move and graciously, eventually it happened. But one of the things I'd sort of grown up into was when I, I came to Shofar as, as the Bible school registrar, when they asked me to come on board, I specifically told them, I, I told them, guys, I'm, I'm excited about this, I want to do this, but you have to understand, I'm not good with admin. So they all just laughed at me and said, it's okay. And so everything I did for two years or so was this hectic admin. Like I was like administering seven, eight different Bible schools with different year groups involved. It was, it was just crazy. Trying to work with a whole bunch of pastors who never have their notes ready in time. It was, just, it was hectic. That is why I was so happy when they sent Andre to come and help me. Okay, he lasted a month and then the media team took him because he was just so good. But over the years, I've sort of, as I've grown in my leadership position, I was able to delegate more and more of my admin. Does that make sense to you? You know, other people were doing a lot of the stuff that I had to do initially. And so, being a senior pastor, when I stopped doing that and came down to Summers of the West, I came in to also serve on the team. And with it came admin again. Okay, some more admin. And so, there was a specific thing we were organizing last week. And it sort of just by default fell into my lap. Before I knew it, I was working out the project plan. I was working out the schedule. I was working out who's going to be where. And normally, my wife does that at home. Um, for our holidays and our calendar and stuff. And I, I was doing this for, for these people coming. I'd planned everything, you know, all my years of experience doing it. I, it was a fail-proof, foolproof plan. People were coming from the airport to arrive at the house where they're staying. I, I collected the key a week before. Take my little girl, Katie, get into the car, just double-check the key is there where I put it. And, of course, the key isn't there. Half an hour that I have before they arrive at the apartment. Other people are also getting there because we bought a lot of food. We want to put the food in there and just make sure that we blow them away with our hospitality. It's all dependent upon getting the apartment ready for them. I'm looking. I'm taking everything out of the car, looking under the seat, everywhere. I'm sure I put it there. Look at my bag. It's not there. Go into my, my closet. Throw everything out. It's not there. And I'm getting more and more worked up. I'm like, I can't believe this. This is not happening. Why is this happening? Katie's sitting in the car, and she's asking me questions. Daddy, what it is? I'm looking for the key. Ah, she says, and I'm going on, I'm looking, looking, looking. Eventually, I crack. Okay, I, I, I'll go to, the, the, to my study, sit down on the floor, and I cry. <laughs> I cry. I was like, I, no. This is like, this is the, my greatest fear. My greatest thing is like somebody being dependent upon me with admin, and I can't do it. And I'd grown out of it. And now I'm upset. Why should I be doing admin? Why should I be doing this? You know, somebody else should have done this. I'm like, Jesus, I just, I cannot believe this. I eventually get into the car and 
went to the office, going to look for the keys there. It's not there. Phone my wife. Maybe it's in her car. No, it isn't there. I phone the other person. Says, don't you have a spare key? She says, no, the spare key is in the flat. That's the only spare key. Like, dang. Phone the locksmith. They must meet me there. And I drive. I'm about two traffic lights away from the apartment. I look in the visor here. There's nothing there. Drive. Look in the other visor. They force the key. Oh, says Katie. Daddy, I put it there. (laughs) There was a time when I would have lost it. Okay. I was just too relieved (laughs) that we found it. But they told me something about where I was at in terms of my connectedness to God and my ability to remain calm and have fruit of the Spirit, self-control. Okay? The pressure and everything that went wrong was an indicator for me in terms of how I responded to it. The fact that I broke down crying was for me an indication that I was running again on a lot of momentum, a lot of stuff that I had to do. And I also still had this thing, this desire in my heart not to fail in this area of admin. It was important for me to people to know that Heinrich organized this and it worked perfectly. So for me, there was something the Lord had given me victory over. But for me, I constantly need to bring that to God and say, God, my fear of man is something that I consistently have to look out for. And pressure in my life triggers certain things unless I'm spending quality time with God. So that moment, I could have just laughed it off. Could have just gone on. Hey, we found the key. But the pressure exposed something in my heart. Do you understand what what I'm wanting you to look at and think of? What are the pressure moments in your life that really challenge you in your leadership? And then second to that, I want you to think of how do you respond to that pressure? Is there something the Lord has shown you over these last three months or six months in area and specifically I want us to, to look at the fruit of the Spirit. If you guys can find the scripture, was it Galatians, what is it, 3? It talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And just put it up there. I want you to evaluate, look at what does pressure do to you? Okay, how, do you how do you respond? And we're going to turn to each other in groups, and we're going to pray for one another. Okay, we're going to bring that area into the light and ask God's abundant grace upon that. Okay, because God wants you to grow. Right? So before you look at your small group, before you look at all the stuff that God is wanting you to be effective at, what I'm wanting to say to you, God is more committed to your growth in the fruit of the Spirit, in other words, in your maturity as a believer, than you can imagine. And that's why a lot of the things that happen and that frustrate you in church and in your ministry team is designed by God and used by God To get you to grow. But if you do not see it as a growth opportunity, those things can sometimes turn into fatigue, stress, burnout, walking away from the call that God has given you. So I want to encourage you, think of that. I'm going to give you a few more minutes and then we're going to turn to one another and we're going to pray for each other and just trust God to speak some life over us in in those specific areas.
It's 20 past now. Let's give you till 25 past us to do some introspection. Galatians 5.22, if you guys could get that scripture for us. And in other churches, you guys can discuss it in your groups as well. I'm going to ask some brave people here. I exposed myself to you. It's completely unfair for you to hear all my weaknesses. So I'm going to ask some of you, some brave ones. Just mention one or two pressure points you have found in your leadership walk. Something that brings pressure to bear on you. And if you want to, you can respond as to how you've seen yourself respond to that. I'm going to put pressure on you for that. But I just want us to stimulate each other. Okay, because sometimes there is, we are so busy that we don't cultivate the habit of reading our own hearts. And we keep on running from circumstance to circumstance without learning the lesson that that circumstance is wanting to bring into our lives. And so we get changed because circumstances change us. They make you older, grayer. Fatter or thinner. But they don't always cause you to grow unless you understand what God is wanting to do through that circumstance. Okay, and so I'm trusting God that he will empower us this morning to look at our circumstances differently, to read our pressure points differently, and to respond to them in an accurate way. Or in a way that leads to growth rather, rather than accurate. Rion, you're not afraid. You want to share a few that you've just experienced in terms of what things do you experience bring pressure to bear on you that make you feel a little bit either unsure or under pressure? Or? Patience. patience is one of the things that pushes my buttons. You know, patience, just sometimes um, you want things to be done and like you know they should work and it doesn't and causes you to not extend patience. You know? so, so that's one of my triggers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's... Um, Inevitable to work with people and not have your patience tested. Okay? Because people don't always walk as fast as we would like them to walk. Don't, or run as fast as we would like them to run. Respond as quickly as we would like them to respond. And then you have a choice to make in that. How will you, how will you deal with that situation? First of all, in your own heart. Okay, so... Patience tested when people frustrate us, the frustrations of people not doing what they're supposed to be doing, especially if you're very focused as well on the goal and on the outcome. And some people aren't that focused on those things. So patience in terms of people, what else? In terms of your leadership and what you guys have, have experienced. What, what, what puts pressure on you? 
You guys are all pressure-free. Stephen? <laughs> Have you experienced pressure? And maybe mention us one or two things that put pressure on you and, and maybe what it showed you in your own heart. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, normally what, what, what I struggle with is uh, when, I'm, when I'm under pressure is actually just to be a gentle husband to, towards Yvette. I mean, that's the easiest place for me to, um, to be grumpy, to be agitated, to be quick and to be short, short, caught off. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's something that's, that's what has been speaking to me about, um, you know, in front of other people and running around, everything is okay. But when you're back home, then it, it's easy for me to just uh, lo- offload it on, onto Yvette. Um, so, yeah, God's challenging me on that kind of thing. Thanks, Steve. There's probably not a, not a man or, or, or spouse here that can't relate to that. One of the greatest reasons why spouses grow disillusioned with church, and kids grow disillusioned with church, is because of their dichotomy, their schizophrenia, where we give our best to the ministry and the job description, and the people closest to us have to sit with the crumbs, the residue of what we can give. Right? So for me personally, I've discovered over the years the importance of when you arrive at home is to ask God to touch you again, to anoint you, to give your best at home. Okay, and obviously to read, your, to read your gauges in. Lots of practical things, of course, around that that you can do in terms of saying no to certain things and, and scheduling and so forth. But that is probably, probably one of the, my biggest gauges as well is how do I respond to my kids? How do I respond to my wife? Um, and those are the things God comes to measure, whereas mostly people would look at how successful are you as a leader in terms of the other stuff that is more visible and more to the outside. And that's why it's important for us to know one another, to be in accountability with each other, where you can have a brother that can chat to you about what they picked up at the braai or when they visit you at your home, and how, how do you respond to your wife. And she can have an, an, uh, a safe place where she can respond to someone as well. Say, oh, he's really frustrating me, a safe place where those things will be handled within accountability. We'll speak about accountability a little bit later. Alan? Thanks, Heinrich. Yeah, I think for, for my side, it's exactly what Heinrich was just mentioning. Um, I feel overwhelmed with a lot of uh, responsibilities. And it's about take, having, having peace in it and knowing what, almost like self-control, to say how I need to balance it. So it, it's about taking a stand to say, okay, if I must take some time off, then I say, okay, I can't do this. Being able to say no and say, I need to, to, to spend time on that. I need to say, I can't do it. And, you know, whatever the, the ministry leaders will, will say, okay, fine, you can't, you can't do it now and later. So it's about taking control of the situation, but also doing it in a, in, in a peaceful way that you don't, don't have aggression or you don't, you don't feel um, yeah, um, unsettled. So it's about having peace and making decisions based on that, that place of peace. Thanks, Alan. And the motive of the heart, Alan spoke about, is so important. I found that the Lord within leadership context has come to, and I just want to encourage you, very often when the pressure comes and something jumps out of your heart or out of your mouth, I know you're all saints, so it doesn't come out of your mouth, you squash it just in the heart before it comes out. Sometimes with me, it sometimes slips out when I'm on the tennis court, another good indicator for me, I'm on the tennis court and see you know, what kind of pressure I'm under. Um, but don't look at the stuff that manifests as disqualifications. Okay? It is simply God coming and allowing, and that's why leadership is a blessing. 
But when you're in the pressure moment, you don't experience it as a blessing. You feel like, oh man, how did I end up here? You know, why did I say yes? Or these people, <laughs> or the sound desk, or whatever it is. You know, the streaming. You, 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 you look at those things, but often the devil will jump on that bandwagon and tell you, you such a pathetic husband, how dare you be a small group facilitator? Or you such a bad dad, how dare you lead in the band? Or you're still struggling with that thing, or you know, when the pressure comes, you drink two glasses of whiskey, or take a smoke, or whatever it is. And instead of allowing those things to intimidate us, we, within the context of knowing that God is in charge of the process, okay? He's the one coming to do the pruning so that you can bear more fruit. The fact that you are here means that you are already bearing fruit, okay? You are here because you have responded to God, you are obedient to God, and you have already proven yourself faithful in some measure. That's why you are here. You have a responsive heart to God. So when you end up in the pressure environment where everything feels too much, it doesn't catch God by surprise. He knows about it, and all he wants you to do is to bring that area to him so that he can breathe his life upon it and actually turn it around into something he can use for his glory. Like for me with my, my, my struggle with admin, uh, eventually I can do it. I don't delight in doing it. You know, I don't look at an Excel spreadsheet, get goosebumps, and my hands together, and, come on, baby, let's do this. You know, I'm, not, I'm like PowerPoint. You know, like, if I can just preach without doing PowerPoint, you know, one day in heaven, I just want Jesus to give that to me. Jesus, I just want to preach at all the nations and just without PowerPoint, please. Just know that let it be a PowerPoint thing that can read my mind and project it onto you. But I've got to sit and spend so many hours doing my PowerPoint. But in any case, why did I say that? What it has done for me, it has enabled me to be a good leader in the sense that I do not micromanage. Okay? Basically because I can't. <laughs> I don't have the capacity to manage a thousand and one things at, at the same time. So I have to delegate. And I have to trust people to be able to do what they need to do. So instead of looking at that thing, oh, you're not good at admin, I actually, through the grace of God, have been enabled to raise up people around me that can do it. And I trust them. And I spend time with them. And I encourage them. And they do it because they're good with it. And it makes everyone's job a lot easier. So don't allow yourself to be intimidated and fall into condemnation through the things that are jumping out. So I want us to, because we're running out of time, I think. Are we still good with time? Ten, ten more minutes. I want you guys to turn to each other. Okay, and I want you to be honest. Right? Find someone. I don't know, how are we going to do the groups thing? Maybe three. Yeah. Just turn to just where you're sitting, okay? Um, because we're in a trust environment, turn to, to each other, groups of three, and I want you guys just to share with one another, okay, the things that Rion and Steve and Alan so graciously shared with us. Okay, just an area or two in your life that you have discovered, the Holy Spirit is highlighting to you right now, to say to you, I just want to bring this into the light. Okay, I want to bring this into an atmosphere of faith, because that is what God came to do last night. He stirred our faith, amen. He said, all things are possible. Okay, I've discovered often I've got great faith for the stuff out there. Sometimes I struggle having faith with the things in here. Because I know what goes on here and how long it has been going on here. And then we, we're not as confident to confront those issues and we rather want to run and do stuff because we're afraid of our hearts 
afraid of inability to change. And God wants us to use the same faith we used to cast out the demons and we used to, to ask God for the nations. Let's ask God for our heart. Because some of us don't possess our hearts. Your heart is fragmented. It's all over the place. You don't even know your own heart. You don't even know how you react to pressure. You don't even know what puts pressure on you. So you've got to go home. You've got to ask your wife. What, what puts pressure on me? Because she'll know. She'll know when you get grumpy. She'll know how you, when you get quiet and you withdraw. She'll know when you go to the bar or you watch the cricket all the time. She'll know the triggers. Ask her. She knows you. Your spouse knows you. Ask your kids if you've got grown-up kids. Okay, but be ruthless in the process of self-discovery so that you can bring it into the light, have God's grace wash over it, and have him transform it. So this is only the step, first step, okay? But I want you to, to, to stimulate the process. So turn to one another, bring those things into the light. And um, those of you listening, listen, don't teach, don't correct, don't give advice. You simply listen, and then you're going to pray for each other, and you're going to pray God's strength, God's grace, God's life, God's faith over those specific areas. Okay.